It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. We love, why? Because we understand he first loved us. When I start to understand the love of God, I start loving other people. Beloved, listen to me. I thank God for a bold, confident church. Dawn and I were talking about this last week. She says, how is it we seem to have attracted all the radical, bold people? I said, well, like attracts like. We just all kind of come together and we kind of see things the same way. And I love that. I love being bold, and I love getting angry. I love the adrenaline rush. I love all that. But I wonder sometimes if God is saying, y'all got chapter 6 right. May y'all start focusing on chapter 7. I'm still a God of love. I still love people. I still pursue people. That's Chad Harvey, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. Look at the fourth seal. The rider on a pale horse, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now, pale here, this rider on the pale horse. Pale in Greek is, here's the word, chloros. What English word do you think we get from that? Chlorine, okay? In fact, I feel sorry for this. When I was in youth years ago, I remember there's this girl with beautiful blonde hair, and, uh, but she's a big swimmer. And one day she came to youth group, and I was sitting behind her, and I looked at her hair, and I was like, man, that hair's green. Her hair's green. And what had happened was she had swum so much and I guess didn't wash her hair out. That beautiful blonde hair became chloros, green. And so this is what John is saying. He's saying, I see a rider on a chloros, this putrid green horse, and he has the ability, he kills one-fourth of the earth's population. And he also something, says something as well. He says, um, they were killed by the beasts of the earth. Do you see that? Killed by the beasts of the earth. You know, God, we see this right after Noah. God has given animals this natural fear of human beings. It's inborn. Wild animals want to stay away from human beings. Evidently, during the tribulation, when this occurs, that fear of man is taken from animals, and now animals kind of overrun our city and begin to, uh, to kill human beings. Y'all encouraged yet? Y'all happy? I'm just here to bless you today. All right, here's another. All right, so the fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs. Look at verse nine. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now what's this about? Watch this. In the months or the days after the rapture occurs, all over the world, you're going to have people saying stuff like this. Man, I thought my grandma was always just, I thought she was a hick, hillbilly, redneck, King James Version Bible person talking about the rapture of the church. Grandma was right. The rapture was real. They're gone. 
And you're going to see all over the earth, many, many people suddenly start giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, scholars believe that the greatest harvest of souls in human history is going to be during those seven years of tribulation. In fact, take all the people who've been saved around the world in the past and combine them, it may not equal the number of people who were saved during the tribulation. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's going to be the hardest to give your life to Jesus Christ during the tribulation than it's ever been. Maybe the American church can learn something from that. We seem to think that to get people saved, we got to make Jesus as easy and palatable as possible. we got to make Christianity this easy, winsome religion. I don't know that that works, because during the tribulation, when it's going to cost you everything to give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll have more people getting saved than ever before. And I keep hearing people say this. I don't want to get off on this tangent, but... I keep having people in this church. Oh, but you know, Pastor, a great worldwide revival is coming. Holy Ghost has just told me we're so excited. I went on the Elijah list, and Prophet so and so said a great revival is coming to America. I used to say, "No, nah, I don't believe that." Now here's what I say: I believe that. I believe a great revival is coming. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be here for it. It's going to be during those seven years of tribulation. And here's it's kind of interesting as well. So many people who are going to be saved. The, the chapter seven says. You can't even count them. Isn't that amazing? Now, I do believe Islam is going to play a key role during the tribulation. I don't think you've seen the last of radical fundamentalist Islam yet. I believe as you look in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of parallels to to Islam. I won't give you a lot, but let me give you one. In chapter 20 of Revelation, it talks about all these martyrs who have been killed for the faith during the tribulation, how they were raised back up. And here's what he says. He says, I saw a multitude, more than you can count, chapter 20, of people who have been beheaded. Why is that significant? Because beheading is, um, it's not the, uh, the, the most efficient way to kill masses of people. And yet these martyrs on planet Earth are beheaded for their faith. I don't find it coincidental that in Sharia law, beheading is the preferred way of execution. Is there a connection? I, I don't know. But that's the, uh, the fifth seal. The martyrs who have died for Jesus during the tribulation crying out. And then the sixth seal is cosmic disturbances. You see this in verses 12 through 16. There's earthquakes. The moon turns to blood. Meteors are smashing into earth. You know, a couple weeks ago, Dawn and I went to the beach, and I'd read about, did y'all read about this meteor shower that they were having? And so I said, Dawn, I want to see this. And so we actually went out on the beach late at night and just sat there away from the city, and you could just see all those meteors. And it was powerful. And I was looking at that, I was thinking, you know, the book of Revelation says one day these meteors, these things are going to be crashing into planet Earth. You said, Chad, you live such a sad life. You can't even enjoy it. You're now thinking about cosmic, you know, disturbances or whatever. But, but that's what's happening Verses 12 through 16, and it's so unnerving that people cry out. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Folks, that's chapter six. It's God's wrath being poured out on planet Earth. Now, remember I told you, 
The Bible emphasizes God's holiness, God's wrath, but also emphasizes his what? His love. And you see that here in chapter seven. So so turn there in chapter seven, if you would. Now you see God's love and mercy. Because here's how I used to look at the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, before I really started to study this. You know, I thought it was a, a time where God says, to hell with all of you. I gave you a chance, you didn't listen to me, now it's my turn and it's gonna get really bad. That's what I thought the tribulation was about. But here's what I'm seeing. Even during the tribulation, when God's wrath is being poured out on planet Earth, God is still pursuing us. He says, I love you. I want relation with you. The the time is coming to a close. I am now still pursuing you. Does that amaze you? That in the midst of this orchestrated, systematic execution of God's wrath, God says, but I can't imagine eternity without you. I I, want to save you. And God does that in a number of ways. But most notably, in chapter 7, God seals, in verses 1 through 8, we see this, 144,000 born-again Jews and commissions them to be evangelists to go around the world with the gospel. You say, well, Pastor... I thought all the believers were raptured when Jesus comes back, but now you got a hundred, well, here's what happens. When Jesus returns and the church goes home, there's gonna be a lot of Jews that start reading their Bible again. And they're gonna say, those crazy Christians are right. Jesus is our Messiah. And Romans prophesied this, there is gonna be this mass return of Jews to God through Jesus Christ. And God is going to say to 144,000 specific Jews, I want you to go out into all the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ during these seven years. I don't know if this, I don't know if you have ever met a Jew that gave their life to Jesus Christ. They're some of the most radical people in the world. I love Jewish believers. In fact, one of my heroes is a guy named Lon Solomon. And I think I got the story right. If I mess it up, Lon, if you're listening, don't sue me. But he was, uh, he was selling LSD on the street in Chapel Hill in the 1970s. Long-haired Jewish LSD addict strung out selling LSD and a street preacher witnessed him. I know street preachers can get out of hand, but I'm tired of people bashing street preachers. I wish we had half the boldness those guys do and ladies do to get out there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ on the streets. And so this street preacher led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. He got radically saved and he built a church of like 12,000 people. Now imagine 144,000 men like that commissioned by God to go around the world and share the gospel during the tribulation. That's how God is pursuing the human race. And if you look at verses five through eight, God says, now, it'll be 12,000 Jews from Reuben, 12,000 Jews from this tribe, 12,000 Jews from that tribe. Some of y'all have asked me, one of the tribes that's left out is the tribe of Dan. And why is the tribe of Dan left out? Tribe of Dan was never a good tribe. Uh, In fact, uh, Dan led the the rest of uh, uh, Israel into idolatry. Uh, Jacob's prophecy in Genesis calls Dan, the tribe of Dan, a a snake. And so it's kind of a wicked tribe. We we do see during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 1, that the tribe of Dan is there, okay? So God says 144,000, 12,000 of this tribe, 12,000 of that tribe, 12,000 of that tribe. Y'all got seven years, y'all go out and preach the gospel. And... There are some traits of these 144,000 that kind of fascinate me. I'm going to alliterate this for you. Number one, they are signified. Chapter 7, verse 3 says that they have some kind of mark on their forehead. 
Chapter 14, verse one says, the mark that's on their forehead is the name of the father. So may say Adonai or whatever, but they, I don't know if it's tattooed or what. Probably tattooed, because everybody today's getting, everybody's got tattoos. I'm thinking about getting a tattoo. I'm thinking about getting like a skull with an, a snake coming out of its eye sockets, and when I flex, it looks like it's striking. But anyway, so they got this, I don't know what it is, but it's a tattoo on their forehead, and uh, so they're signified, number one. And then number two, chapter 14, verse four says that they are celibate. In other words, it's almost like these 144,000 Jewish evangelists say, man, we gotta get busy. Jesus is coming back. We don't have time to get married and have kids. We gotta focus full time in getting the gospel out there before the end of, uh, of the seven years of tribulation. And then number three, they are successful. How successful are these men? Well, again, we're, we're during the tribulation, God's wrath is being poured out, but he's still pursuing the human race because he loves the human race. He's doing it through these 144,000 evangelists. And here's how successful they are. After these things, verse nine, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could even count, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's how successful they're gonna be. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Now, this leads to something else, and I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, but some of y'all have asked me actually a really good question. Here's what you've asked me. You said, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the ethnic groups, ethne literally is what it says, and then the end will come. Here's a question y'all ask me. It's a good question. Jesus just said right there, I'll come back when every tribe, every tongue, every nation has heard the gospel. I got it. But pastor, has every tribe, tongue, and nation heard the gospel? No. Well, then Jesus Christ can't come back anytime soon because all these nations have not heard the gospel. Y'all with me on that? But here's the context of this. Jesus is not talking about the rapture of the church. When Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24, he's doing it in the context of the tribulation. What he's saying is, during the tribulation, these 144,000 are gonna go out and preach the gospel, and every tribe, tongue, and nation are gonna hear, and when they've heard, the seven years of tribulation will come to a close, and I'll come back and set up my kingdom on planet Earth. But he's not talking about the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment. You with me? All right. Well, pastor, thank you. God's got a holiness and he's gonna make this place a miserable place for seven years and God's a God of love. He still pursues us. What difference does that make in my life? Well, let me give you two applications here. Listen, God's holiness, God's wrath ought to produce, here's what the Bible calls it, the fear of God in my life. Maybe the church in America should have a revival, but a revival of the fear of God. Maybe instead of some revivals we've had where everybody falls on their back laughing, we ought to fall on our face saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And look, Derek Prince said this one time. Derek Prince said, there are more promises in the Bible attached to the fear of God than any other concept in the Bible. In other words, it sounds counterintuitive, but the more I fear God, the better my life is. Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, the fear of God helps me with anxiety. 
Now, again, that sounds counterintuitive. You're telling me, Chad, the, the more I respect, stand in awe of God, the less anxious I am? That is what I'm saying. Because Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 says this. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. There's a lot of adjectives that would describe us. I don't know if strong and confident will be those two adjectives. But the more I fear God, the more confident I am. Well, why is that? Well, I'll give you a little analogy. Uh, years ago, I went to Haiti on a mission trip. It was during a transition time with the government. There had been a lot of American kidnappings. There was anarchy in the street. And um, I'm not bashing him, but since Pastor Chris is not here to defend himself, I'll just talk to him about him behind his back. So I was, I was there with Chris, and I wanted to go walk the streets. But I was a little bit nervous. State Department said, don't go walking by yourself. So Chris said, well, hey, would it help if I went walk with you? I, um, I said, I don't know. Is there anybody else? And so there was another guy in the compound. He's about that tall, about that wide, and he had two guns. I said, I want him to walk with me. And so we walked through the streets of Haiti, and I wasn't scared at all. I have this big, muscular, well-armed guy with me. Pastor Chris is a good friend, but he didn't inspire confidence on the streets of Haiti. I want to tell you something. You've got a friend and a bodyguard named Jesus Christ. He is the captain of the Lord of hosts. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. When you go to bed at night, he's there with you. When you get in that car tomorrow, he's there with you. Everywhere you go, he is with you. And the bigger God gets in my mind, the smaller the problems of life get. There's strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. Secondly, the fear of God. Just really meditating on his awesomeness and his holiness and his power. It's going to help you with people pleasing. Do you know social anxiety is a big issue today? Y'all, a lot of y'all do this. When you go into a room, first question is, what do they think about me? What do people think about me? How many likes did I get on Facebook? They have that many friends. I've got this many friends. Why don't people like me? That's people pleasing. The Bible says this. The fear of man trying to please people is a snare. It's a trap. It's a horrible trap. Trust me, I know of what I speak. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, do you know what the antidote of being afraid of people is? Jesus says, you fear God, you won't fear people anymore. Those who fear God have ceased to be afraid of man, and those who fear man have no fear of God. You begin to fear God, and it breaks the fear of man. Let me give you another one. The fear of the Lord helps you overcome sin. Proverbs 3, 7, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of God brings blessings. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, that's material blessings, honor, that means respect from others, and life, that's health. Pastor, you one of those Kenneth Copeland, Hagen kind of guys? No, I'm just a Bible preacher. And that verse right there says, you fear God, God is going to bless you in the practical areas of your life as well. And so I read chapter 6. And I start getting overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God and God gets bigger and the problems get smaller. Listen to me. If you have a precious moments God who just loves everybody, he just wants everybody to get along, trust me, you'll deal with anxiety. You start fearing the almighty God of the universe, it destroys that anxiety. That's the fear of God. But then we also say that we see in chapter seven, God is a God of love and mercy. 
And when I begin to understand the love of God that he has for me, watch this, I start to love other people. In fact, here's what 1 John 4, 19 says. We love him because he first loved us. Now, I do believe that. But did you know in the original Greek, it doesn't say him? It simply says, we love. Love who? Each other? Our enemies? God? We love, why? Because we understand he first loved us. When I start to understand the love of God, I start loving other people. Beloved, listen to me. I thank God for a bold, confident church. Dawn and I were talking this last week. She says, how is it we seem to have attracted all the radical, bold people? I said, well, like attracts like. We just all kind of come together and we kind of see things the same way. And I love that. And I love being bold. And I love getting angry. I love the adrenaline rush. I love all that. But I wonder sometimes if God is saying, y'all got chapter six right. May y'all start focusing on chapter seven. I'm still got to love. I still love people. I still pursue people. I wonder if we need to let the love of God, as the Bible says, be shed abroad in our heart in a fresh new way. Love for each other. Love for that lost world out there. It's a story that I like. I used it years ago. It's probably an urban legend, okay? I get it. It's probably not true, but I, but, but I like it. It's a good preacher story, and even if it's a lie, I like the story, so I'm going to use it, okay? And so there's a story of a town drunk that uh, ridiculed Christianity, ridiculed the church, and people kept saying, you know, this noted evangelist is coming to town next week. Just come and hear him. And just to get the town off his back, this town drunk, this reprobate, said, I'll come to your stupid church if you just leave me alone. And so the evangelist came on a Sunday night. The drunk sat on the back row. And that evangelist is preaching on the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the fires of hell. And that drunk just sat on the back laughing and shaking his head. And when it was over, he walked out. As the legend goes, a few weeks later, the evangelist Dwight Moody was coming to town. And they began to nag this drunk again. And they said, uh, come hear him. No, why would I hear him? No, come hear him. He's a celebrity. He's, he's an evangelist. Come hear him. And so they kept nagging him so much. He said, all right, I'll give it one more try. And so Dwight Moody came. Drunk is sitting on the back. And Moody basically preaches the same sermon. Wrath, anger, hell to come, judgment. And when he gave the invitation, that drunk came forward and got saved. And afterward, the townspeople were kind of puzzled. They said, let me ask you a question. They said, the first evangelist comes and preaches on wrath and hell and judgment, and you don't get saved. The second guy comes and basically preaches the same message, and you do get saved. What happened? And I love what he said. He said, yeah, those two men preached the same message, but the second man preached it with tears in his eyes. And I wonder if we need to stand strong and be bold and stand against the lies of our culture, but I wonder if we need to do it with tears in our eyes because we have met the Father and He has loved us with an everlasting love. And that love causes us to love even those who don't agree with us. May we have boldness and may we have tears. I gotta share this. 
I am so convinced that we are living in the last days. I want to get to the point where I never stand in front of you and not give people a chance to respond to the gospel. So if you're here today and you're not ready for the rapture, you're not ready for Jesus to come back. If you're here today and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head now. And repeating, y'all understand repeating a prayer doesn't save you. Repeating those magical words doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But if this captures what you're feeling in your heart right now, I want you to focus on Jesus. And I want you to say this to Jesus. He's here right now. Say this to him. Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm such a messed up person. Jesus, I've done a lot of bad things. But say this to him. I believe you died for my sins. Jesus, I believe you paid the price. Jesus, I believe you died in my place. Now say this to him. Jesus, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you, Lord Jesus. Please forgive me of everything I've ever done. Come and take control of my life. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some of our problems are our eyes are all over the place. You're trying to stay focused on Jesus, but you're also focused on what's going on in Afghanistan and COVID and politics. And you're like one of those iguanas I've seen one time. You're trying to keep one eye on Jesus and one eye on all this other stuff, and it doesn't work that way. Here's what Jesus says. When all this mess starts happening, when all hell starts breaking loose, throw your shoulders back. Lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Let's put our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, King of kings and Lord of lords, soon coming King. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Celebrating over 20 years as senior pastor of Cross Assembly, Chad Harvey brings the truth unfiltered of God's word to your daily life. Originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, His passion for reaching the lost, sending out spirit-filled agents to a global mission field, and equipping each member to lead their family in the amazing love and grace found only in Jesus has been the cornerstone of his time and leadership at Cross Assembly. Together with his family and a loving pastoral staff serving all throughout the week, they welcome you with open arms with any need, question, or request for spiritual guidance you face today. More than just a radio Bible teacher, Discover the true blessing of joining God's family right here in the Triangle at one of our two campuses with a third coming this fall. Join us any Sunday for our online worship service at crossassembly.org. That's crossassembly.org. You'll be glad you did.
Dream Center started back in 2014. Since then, it's been amazing to see how we started in more communities. And even through the pandemic, we grew from serving seven communities and ultimately impacting 57 communities over a short time. But watching the impact, it was the local churches that were stepping up. It was people like you that were coming out. You're serving, you're volunteering, and just pouring into the community for the sake of God's kingdom. Looking forward, we want to encourage you to be involved. If you're not familiar with us, go look at our website, RaleighDreamCenter.org. You can see all the places Places where you can volunteer, you can help package the groceries in our warehouse. You can come serve out in the communities. You can play with kids and hang out. Or if you're in the recovery world and you, you know somebody, maybe you have a family member who's going through it and you want somebody to walk alongside them, keep the Dream Center in mind. Send them along to us. We'd love to, to walk that walk with people uh, because we love people and we believe that's where Christ called us to go. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, uh, we see the great response where Jesus was said, I, I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And just all of these practical ways that the believers are supposed to walk and operate and how it's truly serving Christ in those ways. Thank you for those that volunteer. Thank you for those that give to this ministry. And together we can continue having a long lasting legacy here in the Raleigh area. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.